TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. Helen Caldecott and Michael Madsen, Onkelo and the Dangers from Nuclear Power Plants, a meditation on the 100,000-year legacy of nuclear waste, TUC Archives. As people using and promoting solar power, we often jokingly said that instead of nuclear power plant-generated electricity, we prefer our nuclear reactor in the sun at a safe 93 million mile distance. As humans have mastered one power of the universe and split the atom, the discovery has outstripped human ability to understand the consequences. We have copied the nuclear heating mechanism of the sun in 440 nuclear power plants along coastlines and rivers of the world and are barely aware of the danger they cause way beyond their place and time of use. The physician and anti-nuclear campaigner Helen Caldecott says, that vast amounts of highly toxic radioactive waste are generated every day in nuclear power plants. 440 nuclear power reactors in the world are operating in 32 countries plus Taiwan, and about 55 power reactors are currently being constructed in 15 countries. The U.S. is the biggest user of nuclear power, at the end of 2021, they had 93 operating commercial nuclear reactors. None of the world's reactors have so-called permanent or safe underground storage for the highly radioactive waste they are producing. And only one country, Finland, is attempting to build one called Onkelo, the hiding place. In an article in Forbes about the decommissioning of the San Onofre nuclear power plant in California, Christine Rowe writes under the title, The Staggering Timescales of Nuclear Waste Disposal, quote, that this most potent form of nuclear waste, according to some, needs to be safely stored for up to one million years, in other words, a far longer stretch of time than the period since Neanderthals cropped up. Yet existing and planned nuclear waste sites operate on much shorter time frames, often 10,000 or 100,000 years, end quote. And even 100,000 years is beyond comprehension. Today, the so-called spent fuel is stored next to the reactors in water pools, for up to 20 years in order to cool before it can be transferred into dry cask storage. Even after 10 years in the pool, the fuel rods remain highly radioactive at 10,000 rems per hour. They can only be handled remotely since the fatal whole-body dose for humans is only 500 rem. Spent fuel pools require backup off-site electricity or diesel pumps to actively pump the water through heat exchangers. If there is a prolonged interruption of the power supply, as is the danger looming in Ukraine in the summer of 22, the water in the spent fuel pools may boil off, resulting in radioactive explosions that can reach the atmosphere. 
In spite of all the risk, nuclear power is still supported. NBC News announced in April 22 that Biden launched a $6 billion effort to save distressed nuclear plants. Owners or operators of nuclear power reactors that are expected to shut down for economic reasons can apply for funding to avoid closing prematurely. And there are more countries showing interest lately in expanding nuclear power. That's due in part to the recent European Union's decision to designate nuclear power as a green fuel. The European Union decision suddenly propelled a small island off the coast of Finland into prominence. The Olkiluoto nuclear island contains three reactors and the world's first permanent storage site for high-level radioactive waste, called Onkelo. Here's a report from Deutsche Welle. Who wants to live next to a nuclear site? Well, this guy for one, and evidently most of the other some 9,000 residents of the town of Eriyoki, Finland. It's the proud home to three nuclear reactors and, opening soon, the world's first permanent storage site for high-level radioactive waste. We get their uh, real estate taxes. It's about 20 million per year. Eoriyoki Mayor Vesa Lakinyami says decades of good relations and no accidents with the Okiluoto nuclear power plant led his community to actively campaign to be chosen also as the location for the Onkalo repository. The facility is being called a game changer in the nuclear power industry because the waste is deposited so deep in the earth it will never have to be moved. Lakinyami considers that a win for his town, long-term financial security. We have renovated schools and, and uh, we are going to uh, build a uh, sports hall here. It's cost about 8 million euros. The economic boost from the nuclear industry is welcome, but embracing its waste requires deep trust in expertise and authority, part of the bedrock of Finnish society. Thanks to that and the unique suitability of the actual Finnish bedrock, this country is making history half a kilometer below ground. Welcome to Onkolo. When the site becomes operational within the next couple of years, the spent nuclear fuel will be transferred into steel canisters and then copper capsules, lowered into tunnels and sealed off forever. At the moment, the Onkolo site is still in its trial phase, as experts continue finalizing the details of permanently disposing of spent nuclear fuel. With such high-level radioactive waste, there's no room for missteps. Looked good. Geologist Johanna Hansen says every precaution is being taken. To ensure that also in the far future that there are no um, any, any pathways into the uh, surface, so, so this uh, facility will store uh, the canisters for 100,000 of years. Though the project has been underway underground for almost two decades, it's getting new interest from abroad. That's due in part to the European Parliament's designation of nuclear power as a green fuel and the push in Europe to reduce dependence on Russia as an energy supplier as it wages war on Ukraine. So Onkolo is getting lots of attention these days and not only from scientists and journalists. 17,000 people per year come to see this interactive visitor center and take a tour of the facility. 
Pasi Tuohima heads up communications for Posiva, the company responsible for Onkalo. He says his goal is to demystify the process of nuclear power generation. A lot of people say that, okay, nuclear is good, but then you have this uh, waste of used nuclear fuel. But what, what we are saying is that, no, that's not true. Uh, we do have the solution for that, and it's completely safe. Tuohima says he expects more European countries to follow Finland's lead now that they're forced to reconsider how to power their futures. That was a Deutsche Welle report from August 11, 2022. Apparently, the reporter did not find a single skeptic to interview. Also, nobody was asked about sea level rise. The whole island of Orkilioto is only 29 feet above sea level. But the planning documents of the nuclear plant state that, quote, all the Orkilioto plant buildings are on the same height from sea level. In case the sea level rise would be three and a half meters, water would enter the plant area. There is no historical data that the sea level has ever risen to that height. End quote. The storage facility of Onkelo, adjacent to the power plants, has been declared safe for 100,000 years. However, the next ice age almost certainly will reach its peak in about 80,000 years, and the pressure of the weight and movement of the ice on top of the Onkelo facility are being ignored. A Danish artist and documentary filmmaker had come to Onkelo in 2009 before it became a tourist destination. Michael Madsen spoke to Helen Caldecott about his film Into Eternity shortly after the U.S. premiere. Here now is a rebroadcast of Helen's interview from her weekly radio program If You Love This Planet from June 2011. From the archives, Helen Caldecott and Michael Madsen, Into Eternity. Into Eternity is a story never told before. This movie follows the building of Onkelo, the world's first permanent underground storage site for waste from nuclear power plants. Michael Madsen explores the task of building a site that will not be disturbed for 100,000 years. The extraordinary impact of the film Into Eternity is that it explores time, language, and eternity and the vast contradiction between humanity's scientific feat of mastering the power of the universe and our inability to understand the consequences and even to think about them. The British film critic Peter Bradshaw wrote in The Guardian, one of the most extraordinary factual films to be shown this year. Why isn't every government, every philosopher, every theologian, everybody, everywhere in the world discussing Onkelo and its implications? End quote by Peter Bradshaw. This is part two of a conversation between the physician Helen Caldecott and the filmmaker Michael Madsen. Michael, would you like to describe to the listeners what the project is? What are they doing in Finland? For the first time, it's attempted to create a kind of a bunker-like facility which 
half a kilometer down the ground in a system of tunnels will contain the waste of Finland. But you also have to understand that any man-made structure is bound to crumble mm. over time. So the Onkola facility, meaning hiding place, is really just a delay mechanism. And the idea is that this will delay uh, long enough, 400,000 years at least, to uh, render the waste harmless due to its uh, the half-life, etc. What I'm interested in, in into eternity is really the question about communication and therefore the question about human curiosity. Mm. Because even though you have this facility and it is, is safe, it may not be safe from, from human curiosity. We know that we have, every time we have found something in the ground, or found a pyramid or any burial chamber, we have opened it because we wanted to see what's in there. And as is discussed in the film, this is also conceivable that will happen in the future. Even if you know it's dangerous, mm. you may still want to have a yeah. look. Yeah, curiosity killed a cat. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh. But to return to the to the amount of waste in Finland, the idea is that in 120 years from now. Um, 15,000 metric tons is the capacity of the um, Onkolo facility, and that will by that time hold all of the waste in Finland. But the problem is now that another private operator has been granted a license to build another power plant in Finland, and the waste production from this power plant is not calculated mm-hmm. in relation to the Onkolo facility, so they will have to build their own facility also because that the private company Pusiva behind the Onkolo facility does not want to... I mean, it's their facility. Mm. And what is so weird, in my opinion, about this is that the money that are financing the Pusiva company building this facility, and it's something like 3 billion euros is the cost, I believe, that money is coming from a tax taken from the Finnish citizens uh, ever since the nuclear energy production started. So this is paid by every Finnish citizen. But now the know-how rests within a private company, and other companies cannot use this. It's simply a competition parameter. That is a peculiarity in, in my mind. So what, what do you think about private companies building nuclear power plants? I think that it is, in my mind, absolutely clear that a private company can only have one goal in this world, Mm. and that is to earn money, because that's the logic of private enterprise and the logic of capitalism also. So therefore, it is simply not reasonable to expect from a private company to act beyond its own survival. This is what we see TEPCO do, I think, in Japan, and to believe that they should be acting on behalf of society is simply false. Once you have such a construction, a private company, mm. then you cannot expect it to act differently than what private companies does. If you realize that, then you have to say, well, then we simply have to have another system if we want to have control, for example, or have transparency, things like that. Or have responsibility. And, and the, yes, 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 of course. And, and the thing is that as some people, they say, radiation does not know any borders. Mm. And that's true. As we saw with Chernobyl, the nuclear cloud traveled all over Europe. Mm. 
I'm interviewing Michael Madsen, who made this absolutely wonderful film called Into Eternity. Very thought-provoking. You know, as we talk, Michael, because I'm a paediatrician, a physician, I always say that nuclear waste will, will produce random compulsory genetic engineering for the rest of time and that we all carry several hundred genes for disease like cystic fibrosis or mm. diabetes and the like. But as we increase these internal emitters that get into our bodies, into our testicles and ovaries, mm. we will have more and more and more genetic mutations and deformed babies being born. Yeah, I think that the main, the main fear is, of course, uh, mutations stemming from the opening of such nuclear waste uh, repository. It is not actually who will perhaps die from exposure. It is more if the whole ecosystem receives some kind of imbalance because a creature suddenly becomes uh, superior by mutation. Yeah. That is, I think, the main fear. Really? Uh, they expressed that, did they? They have only gotten so far as to say that, which I believe is extremely cynical, that, uh, okay, if such a place inadvertently is opened yes. in the future by somebody who doesn't know, yes. uh, somebody will die and then you understand that it'll, it's dangerous. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there is no problem because then it's identified, so to say, as a threat. Right. But um, I believe that the reason why... Uh, one is going to such extremes as to try to build something for 100,000 years is that it is extremely dangerous and that there are dangers beyond a few casualties. There is, of course, an explanation about what does radiation do to living tissue, mm-hmm. to living creatures. And it talks about the instant effects, which is what we have now also seen some of the workers at the Fukushima power plant being exposed to burns, which is really a burn that will never heal, but also the aspect of mutation, that the genetic code is not only damaged, but also changed. What that will mean, I think nobody knows that. I can tell you that I'm going on a trip next week to the Chernobyl exclusion zone uh, with uh, artists and one of these artists are, as I understand, uh, taking photographs of insects who have Mutation. peculiar shapes. Yes, and the birds uh, too. The birds, the barn swallows, the insects, yes, and the other animals are yes. showing evidence now of mutation, and it's quite common. Yes, but uh, and that that is, I think, that is the main thread. There are several things coming out of this conversation too, Michael. With, with Europe covered with reactors, uh, as it is, the Second World War would have meant that Europe would be uninhabitable for the rest of time. So any country that has nuclear power plants, they can't have wars. You can only fight wars in developing countries that have no reactors or waste repositories. Yeah. Does it worry you, Michael, that you live in Denmark and you travel a lot through Europe and Kazakhstan and the like that mm. some of the food you're eating is almost certainly radioactive, containing plutonium and cesium and strontium and the like. Do, do you ever think about that? <laughs> no, I don't think about that don't because, you? again, if I was thinking about that, it would be difficult to go to sleep or it would be a very long sleep, so to say. When I go to Europe, I practice 
what is called psychic numbing and try and not think about it. But luckily, living in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere, we have non-radioactive food. We just sell our uranium to the rest of the world, including to Japan. What I'm sorry to tell you that ever since the first nuclear test explosions last the background radiation in the world has been higher than it was before. So you will also have uh, radioactive background radiation at a higher level than it used to be in Australia. But even worse, I can tell you that if you would really want to act responsibly in Australia, I can tell you that one of the perhaps foremost critics, a geologist in Finland of the Onkolo facility, mm. he said to me that, to build a facility like Onkelo in Finland is crazy because we know that there will be an ice age. Uh, the weight of the ice will depress oh. the crust of the earth for 700 meters down. Oh. And that will, of course, uh, enhance the fault lines that we know are in the bedrock. So yeah. the water flow will increase and perhaps new fault lines will break into the repository, perhaps, etc., etc., etc. But well, if we really want to act responsibly in terms of building such a repository, it has to be in Australia. Thank because you. Because Australia has the most stable bedrock in the world. Thank you, Michael. And there will be no ice ages. <laughs> well, you don't know there won't be an ice age down here. Uh, well, we're already, <laughs> we're already heading into that situation because the federal government, in its wisdom, and I'm being sarcastic, uh, has found a place of Aboriginal land. And, you know, who cares about the Aborigines? Let, let's be frank. We're a very racist country. It's in the Northern Territory, and it's called Muckety Station. Halliburton, which which um, Dick mm. Cheney ran, built the railway line from Darwin to mm. Adelaide. And I think a deal was done by our former Prime Minister, John Howard, with George W. Bush, uh, in the mm. Global Nuclear Energy Partnership to agree that we may receive some of America's radioactive waste. And this bill is being pushed through Parliament despite tremendous opposition by the Indigenous people and many others. I mean, we're already heading in that direction. And, and you know, I, I can't say that we don't deserve it by exporting all this uranium all over the world like there's no tomorrow and there may not be. Mm. You know, maybe... Perhaps it's not even a question about deserving it or not. If let's 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 just entertain the idea that you didn't even export uranium. Mm. Still, if this is the only really truly suitable place in the world, is it not fair that in the spirit of global brotherhood oh. and sisterhood <laughs> that this is where we'll put the way I'm not sure that I'm glad I interviewed you tonight, Michael Madsen. <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, I, I see from a philosophical perspective why you would ask that rhetorical question. And uh, I suppose from looking at the aspect of nuclear waste down the ages, the time track, you know, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. God help us. Actually, I think it is too. Um, the problem is, of course, and this is a problem that will encompass every such a, a facility is that in Finland, the argument is that we can put it in the bedrock because the bedrock has been stable for such and such a long time. 
and therefore it will also be stable in the future. But it is not a scientific argument to say that because the past looked like that, yes. so would the future look yeah. like. Yep. But that's what the whole thing rests upon in Finland, in any such a repository in the world, wherever they may be built. But the problem is, and that's one of the paradoxes involved in trying to handle uh, nuclear waste responsibly towards the future generations, the problem is that we have nothing to compare with, mm. and we have no ways of testing if it will work, simply because the time span is so big. Yes, it's kind of like the Fukushima accident, where five meltdowns occurring you know, within a few days of each other and hydrogen explosions left, right and centre. This isn't in the textbooks. This is totally unique in the history exactly. of the nuclear age. No one's ever thought about this before. And No. But logical people like you and me, I've always said, well, you can't expect men to be infallible, and we've developed a technology with which we have to be infallible, number one. Number two, you have no idea what nature's going to do. Number three, no. there could be wars and the like. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Well, look, we're running out of time, but you've got the director's note here, and I want to read it out to people because I think it's absolutely profound. Um, and it's from you. The Onkolo project of creating the world's first final nuclear waste facility capable of lasting at least 100,000 years transgresses both in construction and on a philosophical level all previous human endeavours. It represents something new and as such I suspect it to be emblematic of our time and in a strange way out of time a unique vantage point for any documentary. Can you just... Michael, enlarge on that last point, out of time. Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, I can best explain perhaps by the way the narrative is created. And inter-eternity plays around with the narrative idea of addressing a future audience, an audience far, far away from in time from today. Mm. Uh, and this address to the future has the idea that when you watch the film, in a way, you are watching the film as if you were looking from 50,000 years from now or 100,000 years looking back at our time. Mm. And this attempt to create this perspective gives, of course, what Brecht would have called this kind of verfremdung or alienation. It gives you a perspective. So suddenly, it's possible to look at our own time with another perspective with, with other eyes, so to say. Oh, I see. And the problem about being contemporary is, of course, always that, as you say in Denmark, you cannot see the forest for the trees mm. because you're in the midst of, of your own time. So um, this kind of imaginary dialogue with the future is the attempt in this film uh, of, of, of trying to put a new kind of gaze upon our contemporary time. Well, Michael Madsen, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you about your thinking, your philosophy. You're one of the more extraordinary people I think I've ever interviewed, um, sort of leaping out of our time into the future. And uh, your film is very provocative, Into Eternity. So thank you so much and very good luck on your future projects. Thank you very much.
That was an archival program from Helen Caldicott's radio series, If You Love This Planet, recorded on June 17, 2011. She had a conversation with Michael Madsen, whose film Into Eternity had just opened in the U.S. When Madsen made the film on location over 10 years ago, Onkelo was a secret place. Now in 2022, it has become a tourist destination, and Onkelo is only two or three years away from opening as a high-level nuclear fuel storage site. You can hear this program again on TUC Radio's website, tucradio.org. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.